as dietitians, we have feelings that come up in session. Like we need some hardcore supervision. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. How can two opposite things be true at the same time? So today we're talking about with Stephanie Boone, who's a registered dietitian and supervisor, and she has an upcoming course through EDRD Pro about RODBT and DBT, and talks a little bit about the expert proficiency levels for dietitians who work with eating disorders in this episode. It is like an alphabet soup. I understand that. DBT, RODBT, EDRD, what does that mean? listen in because she's going to talk to us about mindfulness and distress tolerance, whether or not it's in the scope of practice for the dietitian, and how we can get supervision for this. She also gives us some nuggets, like assuming that our clients are doing the best they can and they can do better and try her harder and and how she brings this up with her clients. This course is vast and it teaches us how to work with our clients who might be overly agreeable and overly disagreeable at the same time. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, today we're here with Stephanie Boone, who's a registered dietitian and certified eating disorders registered dietitian. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Beth. So happy to be here. So super excited to learn from you today, Stephanie, just to get things going though. Mountains or beach? Beach. Oh, that was fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I hesitate. live in Santa Monica, so I oh. love the beach. Mm-hmm. Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast for every meal. Aaron Flores said the same thing and, and you guys are kind of in a similar area, right? We are. We are. Yes. It's funny. <laughs> And then the last is audiobook or paper book? Paper. Yeah, you had your questions uh, ready to go. Yeah, I feel very strongly about these answers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. And we like to do that because, I mean, one of the things that this is bringing together isn't someone who's very seasoned in the field and, and people who are just coming into the field. And so we're going to move into a question for you. Um, You're a registered dietitian. So you had to pass the RD exam years ago. Do you remember that day? Can you tell us anything about your? Yes, I I definitely remember that day and the the scene and um, taking it. It was on, on a computer. Okay. And my question to myself is, did I learn if I passed right then? And I can't remember. Can't remember. Were you stressed about it or do you have any funny stories from it or worries? (laughs) Well, I'm a good, I've always been a good test taker. I studied 
a ton. I did the, whatever it's called that all the RDs did that course before you take the exam. So I really don't have any funny stories. I was super prepared. Okay. And not too nervous. I think maybe you might be more of an exception. Yeah, that could be. I, I am comfortable with academics and test taking. So not everyone is like that. No, for sure. All right. Well, taking you back, what got you interested in nutrition as a field? And then how did you get into the eating disorders world? I was interested in nutrition. Looking back, I think I was interested in it because I had my own disordered eating problems and uh, was a chronic dieter and read, you know, always read on my own about nutrition, but I didn't know I had food issues. So I, I, t- I had taken a nutrition course just as a regular college course, loved it. But then I worked in the film industry and then I was very unsatisfied and decided to go back to school to become a dietitian. And in my, I was already in my internship when an eating disorder dietitian came and spoke to our internship group about eating disorders and disordered eating. And I felt like, wow, I think I have a problem here that I always looked at as a problem of no self-control and inability to stay on a diet. So I called that dietitian the next day to make an appointment for myself. So she changed my life. She helped me recover via intuitive eating mainly. And um, then I just got very passionate about kind of like that was the only thing really I wanted to do because I find it so interesting with the psychology of it too. Oh, absolutely. And that's what we really want to pick your brain about today is the psychology of it because dietitians are taught a lot of medical nutrition therapy and some formulas and can sizes and <laughs> how to, you know, all yeah. those food service things as well. So to to shift over to the psychology, what do you want to what do you What did you learn about that and what got you interested in that? Well, I mean, you know, we don't really learn anything about that. So, you know, in in my own process of getting help, if anyone who's been in their own process of getting help for their relationship with food knows that, you know, food is just the top layer of the onion and underneath is the connection between food and feelings and, you know, your relationship with emotions and coping skills. So you learn that when you do the work, then you go and try to do the work and you realize, oh, we weren't really trained very much in any kind of counseling skills beyond the basic contemplate, you know, pre-content stages of change. And when I went to school, we didn't even have motivational interviewing yet. So usually eating disorder dietitians have a similar experience to me, I think, where you're, you get a job at a treatment center and you are thrown into the fire mm. and you, you learn on the job and, and you absorb the whatever therapy and therapeutic modalities the, the therapists are using. Did you work in a treatment center? I did. That was my first eating disorder dietitian job at the Eating Disorder Center of California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can be so helpful and so hard for so many people to actually get a job like that as a starting point. And we've had other guests who say it's really such a great place to start. 
but not accessible to as many dietitians as we wish. So the stages of change, motivational interviewing, Abby, you got MI in. I did. Thank God. I did get MI. (laughs) Yeah. I would have felt super lost without it. Yeah. And then Stephanie, what other things have you besides MI and you mentioned intuitive eating, did you get into to learn? Well, so then I was doing my eating disorder dietitian thing, you know, trained under Carolyn Costin. So it's not that I didn't have really great concepts that I was using anyway, for anyone who knows about Carolyn Costin, who started Montanino and eating disorder self and healthy self. And that was kind of my paradigm. You know, we we're kind of the, the whole team is is trying to grow the healthy self and and put the eating disorder self out of a job. So that's and that's a wonderful paradigm. And along with intuitive eating, that's that was it. But then I got a job at a, a comprehensive DBT program, and I was the program dietitian there. And that's where I learned DBT, which stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. If you work at a DBT comprehensive program, you're fully immersed in the world of, of dialectical behavioral therapy. It's a modality. It's a different language almost. And it kind of turned everything on its head for me. I, I learned it on the job and I loved it so much because DBT teaches you skills and helps you teach the client skills about mindfulness, distress tolerance, which as an EDRD, we are completely trying to help the clients with emotion regulation skills. And I felt it, it paired so well with what an eating disorder dietitian does that I got myself trained, not, not trained to be a therapist, but you can get training to be able to teach a skills class and, and know the skills so well that you can weave them in. And what does the training look like for DBT? Well, again, I want to be really clear. There's the intensive training, which is like, if you want to be a therapist, but then there's, it's just a DBT skills training. I don't know what exactly they call it. The, the website is behavioral tech, behavioral tech for anyone who wants to look at that. And it was online. It was, I'm sorry that I can't remember how many hours, It's okay. 30 hours, a lot. Sounds like, yeah. And you know, and that, I don't I was already felt very knowledgeable before I took the course because of my experience, but my experience was very unique to be able to work at a treatment center that does DBT. Yeah. And to take your lived experience into, into the treatment center setting and then into the training, you were super prepared for it. When I think of DBT, I think of, um, there's a particular center that the therapists are available for the client 24 seven by text and right. Okay. Yeah. So when, if someone's in comprehensive DBT therapy, it's a very structured, very specific way that you receive therapy. You have a DBT therapist, you see them individually, and then the therapist is also available for coaching. So a, a client, because DBT was, was created for people who are chronically suicidal and have, you know, emotion dysregulation issues, borderline personality disorder. So there's a lot of crisis all the time. 
So someone who is in DBT therapy can call their therapist anytime, but it's for something very specific, which is coaching. So the therapist will say, what skills are you going to use? What skills have you tried? It doesn't get into what's going on. What do you think triggered this? It's very behavioral skills oriented. In the moment, in that moment of distress tolerance, emotion regulation. Right. And mindfulness. I mean, by the time someone's in DB, if someone's in DBT comprehensive therapy, they're also taking a skills training class, which is several hours a week and skills applications group. Mm -hmm. So it's all about skills because people who need DBT really need these basic skills to be able to regulate before they could get into the underlying issues. Yeah. So as a dietitian, because we're not therapists and we're not claiming to be, and we know our scope of practice, these are just techniques to help us work with the client in ways that's going to help them move through the recovery process. So as a dietitian, how did you adapt DBT to your work? DBT skills is kind of like psychoeducation. And as dietitians, that's a huge part of our job, and especially as eating disorder dietitians. So I think a very something that might be misunderstood, you know, I mostly any therapists that I've collaborated with love that I do DBT, but here and there there's been a therapist that has been put off. But I think of the skills as psychoeducation and As eating disorder dietitians, for example, we're taught CBT, we're taught basic CBT and helping clients do thought records and all that and motivational interviewing. So, you know, to teach a client mindfulness skills or to teach a client the skill of radical acceptance, for example, to help them reduce their suffering around body image. It's very clear once you start learning DBT that we have a wide range of things that we can do as dietitians. Our lane is really big. And what I did, you know, in my journey is look at the the standards and scope of practice stuff put out by the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics. I also looked at the IADEP CEDRD mm-hmm. publication, and it says right in there that expert eating disorder dietitians need to understand therapeutic modalities mm-hmm. that you can teach skills without crossing a line. Yeah. That's so beautifully I, said. Cause a lot of like, no, I won't say a lot, but the, you do run across a therapist occasionally that will say you you're doing, you can't do therapy. That's not in your scope. It's like, we're not doing therapy. We're doing, we're using the psychoeducation and applying different skill sets. Yeah, I mean, I I'm get very riled up and passionate about this part. You know, anyone who has a question about that, again, go look at the revised standards of proficiency in practice, and you will see all the competencies that an expert dietitian needs to be able to do. And you look at them and, and you, ha- you have to say to yourself, wow, there's a lot of overlap which we know as eating disorder dietitians, everyone should read that. And you see that it can't be helped. And I think as eating disorder dietitians, we tolerate a lot of overlap when the therapist talks about the food. So no worries. I I think it's very clear in my mind. And when I supervise people, I make sure they know there are certain places that we don't go. And I think it's very clear to dietitians that we're not going to try to do trauma therapy or help someone in a suicidal crisis. 
you know, there's, there's definitely a line. Yeah. As a newer dietitian, learning all of this is so helpful to me because I get all about the food stuff and I can make up a good looking meal plan and, you know, I can help you start small and work your way bigger, but you're right. There are so many, when you're in there with your patient and they bring up like, well, my body image is just terrible and I hate this and I feel this way about my stomach or whatever, whatever it might be. It, it approaches that line where I can't just keep bringing them back to, okay, well, you still have to eat, you know, well, did you eat breakfast today? It's more, we can't just talk about food the whole time. Absolutely. I mean, we have a, a therapeutic relationship with our clients and to quote myself, not exactly, but when I write stuff, you know, I just talk about that we have no training and we're expected to navigate all the same emotional dysregulation and, you know, inappropriate affect and attachment issues, everything that a therapist needs to navigate, we do too. And if we want a client to ever come back to us more than once, yeah, we cannot be trying to just gloss over their feelings and go right to a meal plan. So, you know, the thing with standard DBT is that, you know, in the training, you learn like, there's a reason that these clients got to where they are, of course, where they're very dysregulated. They have a a genetic disposition to being super sensitive, for example, and and getting getting highly reactive and slow return to baseline. So we might deliver a piece of nutrition education, such as you need more carbs, it's not even (laughs) education. And you know, that, that client might go into quite a tailspin. Especially in that, like the, the really denial phase where they, the patient can't even recognize that there's an issue at hand and not a chance are they going to follow your meal plan. We've got to make the most of the session at that point. I can absolutely understand that a therapist wouldn't want us to do therapy. And like you said, we don't either. But just that extra support, that extra hour to be with a client and have, you know, to talk about the emotions and the feelings can be so helpful in the recovery. And validation. And like Abby, you just said, and Stephanie, you started with, you didn't even know you had some disordered eating. Like you said, Abby, with the denial and Stephanie opened this beautifully with back in the day, we used to not be able to admit or talk about our own lived experience. It was really hush hush. And I'm so grateful that people can just talk about their lived experience in that way that you did. And, and Abby, when you said the denial, then we also understand. Exactly. So, so what's our ODBT? Yeah. So so DBT was created in the 80s for people with the biotemperament that is involves like being impulsive, you know, highly emotionally dysregulated and you know making poor decisions <laughs> based on emotions and uh emotions are big and and loud and radically open DBT was created by a completely different person. They are not related. They are two completely separate modalities for two different kinds of biotemperaments. So radically open DBT is for people who have disorders of over-control, which involves very inhibited, inhibited emotional expression, very risk-averse. Their biotemperament 
involves being highly sensitive to anything new or threatening, highly risk averse, superior ability to inhibit urges and impulses, very detail focused. So this probably sounds familiar to a lot of dietitians. And so this population of people wasn't really responding to DBT because they're already really good. They're too good at tolerating distress. They can be hungry all day long. They can be injured in exercise. Their emotions are very internalized. It's not that they don't have as many emotions as the biotemperament of under control, but we Mm. don't see it. I want to give a big shout out to EDRD Pro. If you don't know about EDRD Pro, everything's in the show notes and link to them. Treating eating disorders is challenging. As you've heard in all of our episodes, it requires compassion, self-care, community support. EDRD Pro knows that dedicating time to this continuing education can feel next to impossible as you juggle caring for patients, running your business, and just life. So... This course with the RODBT and DBT is just another example of how EDRD Pro is helping us understand what it stands for. There's a one-hour webinar that introduces you to the modalities. How can you infuse them into your nutrition counseling for eating disorders and then what clients will benefit from the most. In collaboration with Stephanie Boone and four other seasoned DBT and RODBT clinicians, they're bringing on these two full workshops. So please do check it out and let us know what you think. So we're talking about biotemperaments. Yeah. And there's been lots over the years of different temperament types that, that sort of are more common in different types of eating disorders. So I'm picturing someone with restricting anorexia falling into this category, would it be other eating disorders? Well, the, so anorexia nervosa is what, like in the manual, it says this is evidence-based for anorexia nervosa. So this is what Radically Open was mainly, I'd say, researched on. Okay. Um, that being said, I don't, you know, the more I do, the longer I've done this, I, I don't even really put behaviors in one column or the other because an over-controlled person can binge, purge, and restrict. <laughs> and so can an under-controlled person. Yep. But the difference is that an over-controlled person is not as impulsive. So the behaviors are potentially more planned and less impulsive. Yeah. There, there is more restriction. And the over-exercise really does tend to kind of fall into the over-control mm-hmm. category more often. So it's not that RODBT is taking over DBT. It's just another form, another use. It's definitely not taking over DBT. I mean, I, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic and because, you know, there, there's a lot more DBT in the world right now. And I don't know how all the DBT clinicians would even feel about radically open DBT. I think it's kind of very separated. And, you know, as I'm doing organizing these workshops and getting clinicians to collaborate with me, I don't see it. It's almost like black and white, which is like, that's the antithesis of dialectical thinking, which is the D in DBT. So I find it funny that there are so many people that feel like it's either people are either under straight under control or straight over control. 
and need one or the other. I might make some people upset, but I kind of integrate both sets of skills into a client because, you know, like radical acceptance, that's mm-hmm. a DBT skill, but who, who can't benefit? Can't benefit. And this, yeah. This is what I was going to say a little earlier was that we are, I'm lucky. We are lucky as dietitians. We don't have to diagnose or put people into boxes. Right. And neither do the therapists. They have to do that for possibly insurance purposes or whatever, but we don't have to label someone as with bulimia nervosa, anorexia nervosa, whatever the the diagnostic criteria are. So I just had to look up the word, Stephanie, dialectical, because I'm I'm very logical about this. So it is described as concerned with or acting through opposing forces or relating to the logical discussion of ideas and opinions. (laughs) Let me tell let me give a definition of dialectical perfect that people can understand it's it's pretty it's the basic concept that two opposite things can both be true at the same time and that the truth is actually evolves from the synthesis of the opposites kind of if kind of a yin yang symbol so when it comes to eating disorders the best example that we can all relate to is that our clients both want to want to let go of their eating disorders and want to hold on to it. And they're both true, which is the best that that was the best thing ever, you know? Yes. That ambivalence that we talk about. Yeah. We, we use the word ambivalence. That's the, that's the motivational interviewing term so much used, but in, in DBT, it's just, you know, it's not, I want to get better, but I don't, it's, I want to get better and I don't. (laughs) And the clients really exhale, you know, when they're in this, I don't understand what's wrong with me. I want to get better so badly. Why do I keep doing this Mm. to come back and say, well, or, you know, you, you want to, and, and you don't, is it possible that they're both true? And, and they say, yes, of course. And it gives peace. Yes. Just one other great dialectical assumption, a DBT assumption, which has also been a, a light bulb that I love is, is that on the one hand, there's an assumption that all of our clients are doing the best they can. There's an, and there's an assumption that all of our clients can always do better and try harder. (laughs) And okay. So those are, those are okay to say out loud like that. It's not putting someone down for, I mean, you bring it up when it's appropriate, but I like to bring it up when a client is berating themselves and saying, well, you know, the client who says, well, I'm, I'm obviously not trying because look, you know, that that's a great time, you know, for the client who's in harsh self-judgment. There's so many of our clients in that situation. There are, and you know, they, to go into that dialectic and so that they know that, you know, they don't feel like you're just letting them suffer and struggle and be in their eating disorders. Because if you just say, well, you're doing your best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all you can do. Then they're going to be like, what, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So this is it. Yeah. So you, so you explain to them and could it be that you could also do better, you know, think about that. And um, 
again, an exhale usually. And I think a lot of people, even though there is, I want to get better and I don't, I do feel that a lot of my patients like to have goals. Like we are goal-minded people. We want to, at some level, achieve the next thing and to make that progress. Yeah. And so the dialect, the big dialectic in, in DBT is acceptance and change. That's the overarching dialectic. So we are working on acceptance with our clients while working on change. We're helping them work on acceptance. You know, again, body image is so great for this. It's like, it's okay to work on body acceptance and want your body to change. And I find that to to be the longest lingering thing in the eating disorder is just the body acceptance piece. And I really struggle getting the clients to accept their body, but it sounds something like DBT, RODBT might be a game changer. It's kind of a game changer. It's kind of like, I mean, radical acceptance from, from standard DBT, I think of it as an offering, you know, we're not trying to talk a client into accepting their body. We are acknowledging the suffering that is going on with the body image and and radical acceptance is to accept that reality is as it is and reduce the suffering that happens when we're, you know, this shouldn't be this way and why can't it be different? This is huge. It is huge. You are, I mean, I, I, the words exhale, acceptance and change an offering. You are going to be teaching a course yes. um, and enrollment is open now, but it's going to be available to start in February, I believe of 2022. So tell us a little bit about that. How could, cause I'm taking notes, but I'm sitting here thinking I want to dig into this. Yeah, this is vast. This is just vast <laughs> is the only word, you know, there's, there's one eight hour workshop on dietitians using standard DBT. And then the next month, it's an eight-hour workshop on dietitians using radically open DBT. Those are eight hours plus self-study materials. And even then, you know, if you were to say, I need 10 more hours of material, I could say, no problem. It's so big. It's big. You mentioned supervision too. Do you provide supervision? I do. And ever since I fell in love with standard DBT, my supervision is always looking through the DBT lens. It's just kind of part of part of how I work. And now radically open DBT, which I guess I didn't finish that part of the story. So I heard about radically open DBT before it came out. And when I saw, oh, this, maybe this will help with these rigid, you know, rigid thinking, fear of doing anything new, I got so excited. And I was just on it the second the manuals came out, which wasn't until 2018. So it's very new. And it's less, it's less widely accepted, I'd say, as far as even a dietitian learning Mm -hmm. it than than it than it is for DBT, because at this point, even eating disorder treatment centers usually have a DBT skills class. For sure. And Um, the RODBT, was it developed for eating disorders specifically or just disorders of over control. So biotemperament being low reward sensitivity. Mm. So that's the not motivated. Like when you think of food, not mode, food doesn't feel rewarding. 
in a dopamine sense. Mm -hmm. And so a client isn't motivated behavior wise to do what they need to do to get food Mm -hmm. because it doesn't even feel pleasurable. What feels pleasurable is, is restricting and achieving. What I'm thinking is, like you said, it's vast and, and we've used some keywords today and we, we can all be thinking about the type of client that this will work with and apply for. And a lot of our with eating disorders are definitely fit into that category. So part of the purpose of, of inviting you here to, to teach us is to let us know how to find out more. And so even in the beginning, when you were talking about the stages of change, motivational interviewing, Carolyn Costin, you gave us some examples of links that, you know, we're going to, we're going to put these into the show notes for people who are just starting out in this field, who really do just want to know how do I, how do I start out in this field? What is it that I, what, what is it that people have been in the field a long time are using and what do they find works if they're like me and don't really love to just like read research papers and, and do manualized counseling. I want to hear from you who has the, the years of experience. And then I also want to have my list of supervisors that I can reach out to if I really like a modality and I can kind of connect with and start to ask, okay, I have case XYZ and I am struggling. How can I use this modality? Exactly. So taking yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Well, I I wish I would have known then that it was okay to not be an expert because that was the hardest part of of being an eating disorder dietitian was the, the fear of making a mistake. It's a sucky feeling to, to not, I'm going through this now, but it stinks to feel like, oh gosh, well, I just don't know. So hearing that is helpful. Yeah. I mean, stinks is an understatement. You know, I can't, I can't validate enough the turmoil that I felt start, you know, when I was starting out, it was tough. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like in that, in, in that time when I would initially try to get supervision all the, you know, everyone was just saying, well, as long as you stay within your lane, you know, that, that was like what I got from, Mm. from everyone. And I found it very unhelpful. That's very vague. It's very vague. You know, I mean, as dietitians, we have feelings that come up in session. Like we need some, we need hardcore supervision. And one thing about Radically Open that I'm glad I'm going to remember to mention is that you know, the, the clients with this type of biotemperament, because they mask their inner feelings, they're really hard to be in the room with. An over-controlled client, they're hard to read because their presentation can be, they can seem very open and very with you. They can say yes to the meal plan and then they come back and, you know, you find out they had no intention of doing the meal plan. There's a huge, you know, they kind of call it um, indirect communication. Mm-hmm. And some kind of over-controlled clients present as very over-cooperative and the signaling doesn't match. And once you start to get to know that this about over-controlled clients, when you're saying like, okay, what about if we try adding a carb to breakfast? 
and they say, okay, now I say, yeah, do you like, really, really okay? Or inside are you saying, absolutely not. And you're telling, just telling me, okay, Mm -hmm. because you want to please me. Yes. And you know, so many of our patients are type A and they want to be the yes guys, you know, like they want to be the people that can do exactly what you want them to do. And yeah. just even as you're saying that, I'm like, oh my, I'm thinking of 12 patients right now. 12 I patients. For you. And these are the clients that you think everything's going great. And all of a sudden you never see them again. Yeah. And they're very conflict avoidant. So there, there's, there's usually not a, an honest communication. They will, they will cancel. They will say, you know, I'm having financial issues. Sorry, I can't continue. And you're left like, what happened? And they blame (laughs) themselves. That's the sad part about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because what I think we're called to do is help bring out in them the acceptance that they, that the, this is a dichotomy. It's a total struggle. And so if this happens and we, in this indirect communication, we're not getting it as a dietitian. They may leave our service and they're going to blame themselves. See, I'm unfixable. Absolutely. That's the dynamic. I mean, they blame themselves and us, really. Yeah, true. <laughs> That's true. And then there's another subtype. You know, there's two subtypes. There's what we call overly agreeable. And then there's the type of over-controlled client that's what we call overly disagreeable. So for any of us who have had the experience of feeling hostility from a client or like the flat face can't read what they're thinking, or they look very unhappy with everything you're saying, that's another thing that Radically Open DBT has been so helpful for is you, you get to understand like why the client has evolved to, to bring this, to present this into all the interactions. It helps us not take it personally and it helps us not feel so demoralized, which is a word that when I read Radically Open DBT, I was like, that's it. That's how I feel so much of the time after I see an over-control client. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And that explained it. <laughs> because there's a lot in Radically Open DBT about humans and social signaling and how humans respond to an absence, let's say, of, you know, like what you're doing, Beth, right now, you're nodding your head, you have a look of empathy on your face. If we think of sometimes being in a room with a client, you know, can we all imagine that experience of you're getting none of this? You're getting no head nods, no indication of understanding. And, you know, as humans, our defensive arousal system gets kicked in. So we go into threat response when we're with a client who we can't read. (laughs) So this is the value of radically open DBT as well. And it became so much harder to doing throughout COVID during virtual appointments to only see, you know, shoulders up and you're really not getting any reaction. Another question I had Do you find that you're doing this throughout all ages or is it more so with a specific age group? You mean integrating the modalities? Mm -hmm. I probably do it more with the, you know, with young adults and up. It's more about like how much psychoeducation a person can handle and, and get, you know, sometimes I just use it in the way of like, 
I think this client is over control and I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. And other times, you know, I might use it, let's say for someone who has more insight, I might psychoeducate them on like, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that, you know, you're not open right now. Like every time I make a suggestion, mm-hmm. you know, you, you say that you've tried that already. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, this was so helpful. I'm definitely going to explore DBT. I don't think DBT. I am too, Abby. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you could get different levels of training from the RODBT.net and behavioral tech. But my, my hope with my courses is that up until now, I've spoken like this, where I'm saying how amazing it is and giving little tidbits of, of information, which makes people want to learn more. But so the courses are the next step where I'm hoping people can come and actually learn stuff that they can use. If they want to go a step further after that, they might take the actual trainings. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So that brings us to how can people get a hold of you and learn from you? I am reachable by email. I mean, and I can give you my email. You can put it in your stuff. I mean, I'm very in the show notes for sure. Yeah. I love super. I love giving supervision. That I get very excited about that. I I've done group supervision. Yeah, that's that's how. All right, we will put your email in there, and then the EDRD Pro course starts in February, and and registration is open today. Yeah, the DBTs in January, and the RODBTs in February. In February, got it. Mm-hmm. All right, yes. excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. Thank you. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.